Okay, well this morning I will want to continue with our study of non-resistance. This will be the last and final sermon on this. For those of you that may be visiting today, over the past few months I've shared several messages on the doctrine of non-resistance. Again, this study was born out of a request from the Selective Service Committee of our conference some time ago. The Selective Service Committee made a suggestion that a message on non-resistance in daily life be preached in each church throughout the conference. And so I agreed to take that assignment for here at Ebenezer. And so in the past, we've looked at Old Testament principles for non-resistance. We have also looked at New Testament principles for non-resistance. And now today, we want to consider the suggested topic, non-resistance in daily life. Now, I understand that there's a few school students here today that are taking notes, part of a assignment for an English class, so I'll try not to talk too quick and too fast. Sometimes I get on a roll and maybe speak too, too quick and too fast, but I'll try to slow down so you all can get a few notes. The Selective Service Committee suggested four points for us to consider as we think of non-resistance in daily life. Number one, how does it affect the way I relate to fellow members of the church? Number two, how does it affect my relationship with my coworkers? Number three, how does it affect my relationship with my family members? Number four, how does it affect my relationship with government authorities? For a text and a, and a title, I invite you to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. Here in this passage, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying of the coming Messiah. Verse 6 will be our text, and then my title will be found in verse 7. Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the governor shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I want to emphasize the last name, the Prince of Peace. And then verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The title for my message today is found in verse 7, and peace there shall be no end. In a previous message I said, and I will say it again, non-resistance is, is about being like Jesus. The doctrine of non-resistance is about living like Jesus lived. It's about responding like Jesus would respond. 
It's about doing what Jesus said that we should do. Non-resistance in daily life is living and acting like Jesus. This morning, I feel as though I'm preaching to the choir. You know, as a church, we have just come through council meeting and communion. You and I have expressed our peace with God, with the church, with our fellow men. But yet, I know, and you know, that peace doesn't just happen. Peace doesn't just fall into our laps. Peace must be maintained. To have an ongoing expression of peace in our lives, we must walk daily in the steps of the Prince of Peace. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, towards the end of this chapter, we have Zacharias, the father of John. After months of not being able to speak, he is now speaking. He is full of the Holy Ghost, it says. And he's prophesying. He's prophesying of the work of his son, John. He's also prophesying of the coming Messiah. In verse 79 of Luke 1, Zacharias speaking, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This morning, as we think about non-resistance in our daily lives, at church, at home, at work, at, and within the government, isn't it a blessed thought that Christ has come to guide our feet in the way of peace? You know, the doctrine of non-resistance is not something that we must flounder in alone. No, Christ has come to guide our feet in the way of peace. Turn over now to Luke chapter 2. I'd like to read Luke chapter 2. I'd like to read 1 through 19. Here we have the, the, uh, the story of the birth of Christ. We'll begin reading at verse 1. I want to notice particularly verse 14, the message of the angel with the multitude of the heavenly host. Verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph, went, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that when they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, 
because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were going away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us, let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at, these, at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 10, we have the message of good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. With the birth of Christ, verse 14, the message of peace goes out again. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. As I pondered the angel's message to the shepherds, it seems to me that the message of peace is progressing. We read the words of Isaiah and Zacharias concerning the Messiah and the peace that will surround him. Now here in the angel's message to the shepherds, we are hearing of how this peace will be expressing itself, a peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This sounds like something that may be happening among people, peace on earth, a peace that will be visible, goodwill toward men, something that will be expressing itself among us, You know, possibly you will see this in the home. You may even see it among co-workers in the church. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We'll leave this thought for just a few minutes, and then we'll be back. Non-resistance, thinking of non-resistance in daily life. You know, Jesus taught his disciples the way of peace. You know, there were times when the 12 disciples struggled in their relationships. Their relationships were not always a picture of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Let's look for a few minutes at what Jesus had to say to them. Turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, I'd like to read 1 through 6. I find this chapter very interesting. If, if you find you, yourself struggling in a relationship, Matthew 18 is a great chapter to read and to ponder, but we only have time to look at just a small portion of it. 
But I'd like to read Matthew 18, 1 through 6. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto them, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Verse 1, we have the disciples coming to Jesus with a question. Other gospels bring out that it was more than just a question. It was a question that they were arguing over. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I'm sure you have heard of pecking order. That's a term I'm sure you're familiar with. You know, it's interesting watching pecking order in a flock of chickens. It's interesting watching pecking order in a herd of cattle, but it's not so interesting when people try to establish pecking order. Last summer, we had a group of cattle at our place, about eight head, and uh, most of them, all but one, one was bigger than the other seven. He was bigger, and he also had horns sticking out the side of his head. And you know, when we fed those cattle, guess who got the most feed? He was king of the pasture. Pecking order is often the root of relationship struggles. Who is the greatest? You know, I've heard my dad say many times that the root of church problems, the root of church splits, the root now, we would never say this, but the root is over who is the greatest. Think about that. So often that is the root, even though we would never admit it. We have all these other little things that we say the problem is. But verse 2, notice what Jesus does. He calls over a child and sets him in the midst of them. And verse 3, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, humility is so important in relationships. Humility is the opposite of arguing over who is the greatest. Humili humility sees pecking order as not important. Humility, humility is glad to see others promoted. Humility is not concerned who gets the credit. Jesus says, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, an humble person 
is a useful person. I'm sure those of you here that have employees would agree with that. An humble person is a useful person, a person that is always concerned about who is the greatest or who will get the credit is often of little use. Let's now go to Matthew 20. Again, we have another situation with the disciples. Another relationship struggle. This time, we have a mother in the mix. Now it's getting real interesting. Matthew 20, verse 20, 20 and 21. There came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. You know, people at times can be obnoxious. You know, I'm not sure what all this lady was thinking, but the nerve to ask for such a thing. You know, who did this mother think that she was to ask for such a thing for her two sons? Well, Jesus gives us a beautiful example of how to respond to such people. You know, as we go through life, we run into people that are, that just, they're not scared to ask for things that, you know, they really shouldn't ask for. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, especially if you have employees. I mean, you know, they're blunt and they'll just ask. But notice what Jesus does. Verse 22 and 23. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on the right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. You know, Jesus didn't ignore this mother's request. I find it interesting how he handles it. He asks several questions, which they agreed to. They said that they were able to drink of the cup and to be baptized with a baptism. Jesus goes on and makes it clear that who sits on his right or left hand is not up to him. He said, no, that's not mine to give. That is up to my Father. You know, in our relationships, it's so important to be clear. You know, if you have to say no, say no. Jesus said no. He said, no, that, that's not my privilege. That, that's my father's. Don't beat around the bush in a kind, humble way. Say it the way it is. And I wish I could learn this. You know, just recently, I promised uh, a uh, 
individual in our community that many of us know, Ed Euler. He has a project over at his house that he would like for me to come do for him. And, and uh, I really want to do it for him. But uh, it may have been better if I would have just said no. Because, you know, now he keeps calling me. And, and um, But if we need to say no, say no. That is very, very important. Um, it keeps us out of a lot of trouble. You know, when we say yes, we can do something, and we know that it really is going to take a miracle for us for it to follow, for it to happen, to follow through. We, we just get ourselves into so much trouble. But I liked how Jesus, he just said, no, that is not his to give. Let's, uh, let's notice the disciples' response in verse 24. And I'm going to uh, read from the New King James. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. You know, I find it interesting that the disciples were displeased with the two brothers and not with the two brothers' mother. And maybe the disciples saw right through it and knew that the two brothers had put their mother up to asking Jesus this question. We don't know, but we can see that they were very displeased. You know, maybe these two brothers were coming across as better than the other ten disciples. Notice what Jesus says to them in verse 25 of Matthew 20. But Jesus calls them unto him, this is all twelve, and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I believe Jesus is addressing all 12 of the disciples here. He's not just talking about the 10. He's not just talking about the two. But Jesus is pointing out what true greatness is. You know, true greatness is not lording or exercising authority over people like the proud Gentiles. Jesus is teaching a concept that is contrary to our proud human nature. You know, our human nature wants to be noticed. It wants to be in control. It wants to lord over others. It wants to be first. It wants the last word. Jesus is saying that true greatness is found in serving others, not controlling others. Verse 27, again in the New King James, And whosoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Jesus goes on and reminds them of why he came to this earth. Verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That is what Jesus taught his disciples. You know, successful, non-resistant living and daily life begins with an humble 
childlike spirit and goes on with the attitude of being a servant, serving others. Micah 6, verse 8, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know, the angel, along with the heavenly host, brought a message of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I have a question for us to consider this morning, and I want you to take this question seriously. You know, today we are talking about non-resistance in daily life, in the home, the church, the school, I'll add, work, government. The question that I have is this. In my relationship with others, is my life mocking or bringing glory to the angel's message of peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Is my life mocking or bringing glory to the angel's message of peace on earth, goodwill toward men? You know, are we singing on one hand the Christmas carols of peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and at the same time there is cannon fire rumbling in the distance? I borrowed that from I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. But folks, it's God's desire that we would have peace among ourselves. It's God's de desire that the rumbling of cannon fire would cease. I'd like to read some from 1 Peter chapter 3 as we think about non-resistance in daily life and as we think about the workplace and at home and church and government. 1 Peter 3 I'll read 8 through 12. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but counterwise blessing, knowing that ye are therefore I'm sorry, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto the unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. A lot of thoughts could be given on this short passage here, but I'd like to notice one little phrase in verse 9, and that is railing for railing. Or today we would probably use the word slander, slander for slander. You know, we will never get so non-resistant that unkind words will not hurt. I don't think we will. James, are you at that point where unkind words don't hurt? 
okay I don't think I'll get there either unkind words hurt and our human nature wants to say unkind words back slander for slander you know we may not say the unkind words right away we may say them over and over in our minds we may wait for that perfect opportunity maybe I'm just um, well my family's here this morning and they're hearing me say this maybe I'm exposing myself but verse 9 says not railing for railing but contrawise blessing which simply means returning good for the slander that's what peace on earth goodwill towards men is all about not slander for slander Hebrews 12 verse 14 it says follow peace with all men and holiness without no man I'm sorry without which no man shall see the Lord 2nd Corinthians 13 verse 11 finally brethren farewell be perfect be of good comfort be of what be of one mind live in peace and the God of love and peace shall be with you you know the doctrine of non-resistance is so much more than not going to war it's about living in peace among ourselves as brothers and sisters in the Lord it's about living in peace among the ungodly as well you know the same principles that we find in Matthew 5 for loving our enemies blessing them praying for them that applies at church it applies at home it applies at work it applies as we relate with government officials Jesus said in John 14 verse 27 peace I leave with you my peace I give unto you not as the world giveth give I unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid this morning Jesus is offering his peace not the artificial peace that the world is giving or that the world offers the peace that Jesus gives makes it possible for us to have peace among ourselves Colossians 1 verse 20 and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven you can turn to Ephesians 2 I'd like to read a few verses from there as we think of Jesus coming to make first of all give us peace and then making it possible for us to have peace among ourselves peace in our relationships Ephesians 2 14 I'll read through 18 for he is our peace whom hath both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make in himself a twain one new man so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby 
and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we have, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Jesus came for our peace and to make it possible that we may have peace among ourselves. And he's offering that peace to us this morning. It is his will that we have peace, first of all, in our hearts and then in our relationships. In closing, I'd like to read from Colossians chapter 3. And uh, this morning I'll ask that you don't turn there, but as I read from Colossians 3, I'd like you to just reflect. You can shut your eyes if you like. You can leave them open if you like. But I'd like for you to just think about your relationships. First of all, let's say with God, the home, co-workers, um, among the government, the church. I'd like to read Colossians 3, 12 through 25. And as I read, reflect on those relationships. Colossians 3, 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. This morning, again, I challenge you with the question, the message of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Is my life bringing glory to that message, or is it mocking that message? We'll call for a closing song.